0: you're listening to episode 135 of the well women podcast welcome to the episode on ivf and preconception care now crazy we're up to 135 episodes and we've not had a conversation about ivf on the podcast yet and this is why i reached out to our guest today to talk all about ivf and the things that we need to know basically it's like the ins and outs of ivf So today on the show, I am joined by the beautiful Monique Cormack. Now, Monique is based out of Sydney, Australia, and she's a qualified nutritionist holding a Bachelor of Health Sciences. Her role is to help you reach your health goals by assessing your diet and lifestyle and working with you to address any issues that she can identify. Now, she's really honed in and focused on pregnancy, fertility and preconception care in her nutritionist practice. Her journey into specializing in women's health and fertility has been much influenced by her own experience with infertility. You see, Monique struggled with disordered eating and experienced extended hypothalamic amenorrhea after coming off the contraceptive pill, eventually going through ovulation, induction and IVF she truly understands and empathizes with the impact that infertility can have on both individuals and couples. She's very, very blessed to now be a mother of two identical twin boys and as a very busy mom, you can trust her when she says that her approach to nutrition is practical, realistic and can be adapted to your lifestyle. Hello, she's a mother of twins. Of course, it's going to have to be practical. Now, nutrition is important, but it's hardly the only thing that's needs to be focused on when it comes to fertility and in this episode we dive into all the things you need to know about preconception care and fertility. We chat about what is IVF. Monique guides us through the IVF process and how it actually works. I actually didn't really, I had an idea but I didn't have this in-depth idea that she shares in this episode so I loved that. We talk about fertility and your age. We talk about the age brackets and the paradigms out there about being over 30 or over 35 or in your 40s and then why maybe IVF might be something that is introduced or how you can maybe avoid it being introduced. We talk about egg and sperm health It takes two to tango and we also chat about the importance of preconception care that's preconception care on our diet. So our dietary requirements and needs we chat about male preconception care because that's also very, very important. And what we can do um, as women when we're planning on conceiving or starting a family and having a child. We also dive into fertility challenges, infertility in males and the nutritional intake that we need for a healthy fertility. So this is an amazing episode. I geek out on all things fertility and I can't wait for you to wrap your ears around it and enjoy this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by my five-day Love Your Cycle mini course. Are you new to getting to know your own menstrual cycle? Would you like to understand it in a better way and know how to live as a cyclical woman? Well, this is the Simplified Self-Paced course for you. It teaches you the foundations and fundamentals of your menstrual cycle in under a week, Receive daily educational class videos and audios, along with the action steps, a cycle tracking guide, cycle prompts, and my Love Your Cycle 50-page ebook and audiobook. This is your chance to discover everything you wish they had taught you at school about your cycle: how to eat, how to move, honoring your emotions, and identifying PMS and cycle science before they arise. It's now your turn to join over 500 women from all over the world who have taken this course to reclaim and reconnect with their bodies, and you can do this too in un a week for less than a fancy vegan burger. To learn more, visit wellsome.com forward slash shop. And to thank you for being a listener of the show, use the code cycle love to save 20% off. Monique, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on. I, we were just chatting before we hit record I'm so excited to dive into today's topic. I feel like I say that on every podcast episode because we talk about so much different stuff and I'm yep. really looking forward to this. Um, now, before we jump into it, tell us what day of your recycle you on and how are you checking in today in this moment?
1: Um, so I am probably on about day... I would say like day 20 or 21 Mm -hmm. full disclosure I do have slightly irregular cycles and I'm happy to be open about that despite being a fertility nutritionist and helping everyone else get regular cycles I sometimes do have a wonky one I actually have quite a long history of hypothalamic amenorrhea and I didn't get my periods back until I was postpartum after my um my twin birth and um So, yeah, some months I still sometimes have a bit of an irregular one. So I had to think about what day I was on for a minute. So in terms of checking in on myself, it's actually a huge personal priority of mine to check in on myself and my cycle um, because I like to know if it's definitely coming. You can imagine I have a little bit of paranoia about that. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty self-aware when it comes to my fertility and my cycles
0: and trying to keep them on track. I love that. I also love that you're like, Look, full disclosure, I have a little bit of an irregular cycle. Let's just keep yeah. it normal. I think a lot of people yeah, have a regular Yeah, and a lot cycles. of people do.
1: It's true. Um, and I think, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean there's something crazy wrong. Uh, definitely it is something to be investigated if you have persistent irregular cycles. I do not encourage anyone to just live with period issues you should definitely seek Mm. medical advice but for me I know my body really well I know sometimes that my cycles can be slightly longer and in terms of checking in on myself and having that self-awareness I also know that that means those months I need to take a step back and think about what level of self-care I've really given to myself that month and what I can do to sort of you know shorten my cycle again and get it back on track because sometimes that can be an indication that I've delayed ovulation I might not be sleeping enough, eating enough, resting enough.
0: Mm -hmm. So yeah. For everyone listening, Monique has just highlighted all the little intricate things that can throw (laughs) your cycle off balance. And that's why it's so important to be like, hang on a second. Shit. I barely slept properly for the last four days. This is Mm -hmm. positive for my cycle health, but there's totally disconnection with that. So before we jump into it, I believe and feel that you are just so wonderfully knowledgeable in this area and you are very (laughs) passionate about it. So before we dive into it, people listening, like who is Monique? So tell us, who are you? What is it that you do? And um, how did you get into this work of, you know, working in women's health? So um, who am I? Uh, I'm Monique.
1: I live in Sydney with my husband and my identical twin boys who are just a little bit past two years old. Um, I work as a fertility and pregnancy nutritionist so I just have specific expertise in that area and all of my clients are either um, individuals or couples who are trying to conceive or pregnant or maybe going through assisted reproduction and looking for support in that area. Um, I've been doing that for a couple of years now. I started my own business last year in 2020. Great time to start uh, with Mm -hmm. COVID. So that was just super fun. Um, Before that, I actually worked as a lawyer, like a private practice corporate lawyer for about 10 years, um, which was my first career out of high school and university. Uh, Had a bit of a (laughs) total career um, back and went back and did a science degree in nutrition and then ended up becoming a nutritionist, which is what I do now. And I guess the reason I'm in women's health and I started in this is because I very typically, I guess, became a little bit of a disillusioned and burnt out lawyer. Um, I had a lot of um, disordered eating and fertility issues myself and before I really knew anything about nutrition, I bought into a lot of uh, make believe and woo woo and got really sucked into a lot of disordered eating patterns. And I actually started studying nutrition because it sort of dawned on me that everything I (laughs) was doing and dieting and following and all these fads actually didn't have any science behind them. And I was just so over it all. And yeah, I guess I just turned what became an interest into a career and, now I'm just so incredibly passionate about helping people have a real supported evidence-based, you know, like an a, a journey that is actually with a team that can actually support you. And I want to contribute to that for people. Mm, um, so I probably, beautiful. yeah, didn't encapsulate that enough. It's hard to put it into words, but I just, I guess, had a long history and I really feel like I'm in this great position now to help people. And I just want to keep doing that.
0: Mm, I love it. I, it's so interesting. I really feel that a lot of people, when they truly find their passion, it's because they've been through their own personal experience and journey with it. I'm very mm-hmm. much the same. Most people know about my story on this podcast now anyway. But, yeah, you know, I was a swimwear designer and then I was a photographer and running my own photography house. And then I was a food science formulator and then I became a coach and then I got well I had leaky gut and then I got PCOS and then all of a sudden I'm teaching on menstrual cycles when I was the girl who used to duct tape her boobs because I didn't want boobs
1: (laughs) yeah like yeah I know broad and different right it's um it's so broad and different but it's like I guess there's a common theme there in that when I think we're younger and we don't really understand our bodies or have awareness of what our bodies actually need we can do the most crazy things in hindsight Mm -hmm. they are completely crazy um and I look back now and the diets and the the rules that I used to have, and I'm just like, what was I thinking? <laughs> Pretty
0: much. <laughs> so, and we all go through that. So, yep. if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I'm doing something that's maybe not the right thing for my body, don't worry. We've all been there. And yeah, we just, have just surrendering and going with the process and listening to your body. So, thank you so much for sharing that. I love that um, you mentioned a little bit about sometimes you get a little bit paranoid, as like, when's my bleed coming? Yeah, and that all comes back to. Understanding when you're ovulating, right? And Mm -hmm. today we're chatting all things IVF, and I'm very excited for this topic because we've never talked about it on the podcast before. Yeah. And so, as a pregnancy and fertility nutritionist, I can imagine you'd know a lot about IVF. So, talk us through very simplistically, because a lot of people have an idea of what it might be, but it could be Mm -hmm. something completely different to what they think. So, Mm -hmm. let's go back to the raw basic. What is IVF? Like, talk us through what is IVF?
1: So, IVF um, actually, well, IVF stands for it's an acronym for in vitro fertilization and that actually comes that phrase actually means in vitro means in the glass so it actually means fertilization in the glass or wow. in a test in a test tube <laughs> in a petri dish in in a lab so that's why it's called in vitro fertilization because the fertilization of an egg by a sperm is going to occur in the glass in a lab so it's a way Um, It is an assisted reproduction process. It is not the only form of assisted reproduction. I think sometimes people hear that term and they're like, oh, assisted reproduction, it just means I'm going to do IVF. There are other things that fertility doctors will use and try, and I'm not a fertility doctor, so I won't run you through all the options, but there definitely are other options. And basically, IVF is um, an assisted reproduction process that you would come to after probably trying to conceive by other methods. So generally that starts with people trying to conceive naturally, i.e. by intercourse, but there may be other um, methods tried along the way, so other forms of assisted reproduction. And IVF is kind of like, it's almost sort of like the end of the line, I guess, because other methods are usually tried first before using IVF. Hmm. So in terms of when you get to IVF, what actually happens is that eggs and sperm are collected separately. And then they have their meet and greet in a lab and um, the eggs are fertilized. (laughs) Yep. So there's a meet and greet. My I've actually, so I've actually been through IVF. So my, um, my pregnancy, my first pregnancy was an IVF pregnancy and my fertility doctor used to call it the meet and greet. So the meet and greet of sperm and egg occurs in the lab and eggs are fertilized and the eggs that do successfully fertilize, obviously then become embryos. Those embryos are then cultured in the lab for usually between three to five days. So um, scientists called embryologists who are so incredible, um, watch over your embryos developing and they make sure they're developing well. And if the embryo develops successfully, it's then ready for what is known as a transfer. So you can either have what is known as a fresh transfer. So after that three to five day period, an embryo is then placed back into the uterus to hopefully stick and implant and become a pregnancy. Or you can have something known as a frozen transfer. So that's when your embryo is actually cryogenically frozen. It's like full sci-fi. or Really frozen. sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, totally frozen, right? So they're completely, they're snap frozen in time at that point. And then
0: later, one will be thawed and put back in the uterus to try and um, implant. So the frozen one, the embryo, because yep. an embryo is an egg and a sperm together after the meeting, yep. Yep. right? Yep. yep. So basically, hypothetically, if I was with, the partner that I knew that I wanted to have children with in like a heterosexual style relationship. And we were like, but we're dealing with stuff in our life right now. And we want to have kids in five years time, but we're concerned that maybe for whatever reason, maybe like my AMH is low or maybe I'm, you know, I don't have enough eggs left, whatever. Yep. That you can have the meet and greet. Yep. Now five years ago. And then or now, and then Mm -hmm. have it frozen. And then in five years time you could. Yeah. You can have have a baby. yeah, oh and
1: um, I should say that also it is possible to also um, freeze prior to fertilisation and egg freezing has definitely been something that I think there's more awareness of, but not enough awareness of um, yet and is becoming more popular. So it is is an option. So as mm. you would definitely know, women do have a reproductive lifespan definitely. and once we sort of head into our mid to late 30s, Um, our egg quantity but also our egg quality does decline so what that means is that the chances of you having a um, an embryo successfully develop and become a good quality embryo the older you get the, the less likely that is and the less likely it is that pregnancy can be achieved and I don't mean to be all doom and gloom about it it's absolutely possible to have a healthy pregnancy at 37 and naturally conceive but if you are in a relationship or you're single and you know you want a child but you don't want to have that child right now it is absolutely possible to snap freeze in time your egg or alternatively an embryo and the quality like the age of that embryo or that egg is the age you are now so you could freeze one at 32 but have it at 40. Wow the age so so, and the age of the egg and the embryo is going to be the age which you froze so it literally is snap frozen in time and that that fertility preservation process is a, is available and it's not weird or wrong or anything. Like if you want to freeze your eggs or freeze embryos, you can do so. From a legal perspective, it's always useful to keep in mind that if you freeze the embryo, it can only be used with the consent of both parties. So yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. if you're not quite sure, then you can just freeze the eggs. It's always yeah. an option to freeze prior to fertilisation.
0: Yeah, because you have the option of having fertilization after you've the egg, so to speak yep yep that is just absolutely mind-blowing I know science is amazing (laughs) I love that you mentioned that it's totally possible to have a healthy conception and pregnancy and delivery of a child and a healthy child later you know in your 30s I'm 35 this year so and I don't yet have children so it's definitely I'm in that bracket but I think that for women if they look after their bodies it definitely um, how do I say it? Definitely supports the fertility journey, regardless of when you have the fertility journey. And I'm mm-hmm. always talking about bloody preconception care. It's like one of the most important yep. things, as I'm sure you harp on too. <laughs> yeah, pretty much all so, I do. <laughs> so tell us when is IVF a good time to maybe explore or learn more about if you are a woman who's, say, 30 plus? Um, or even so less, or even it, younger.
1: It depends. I think. Um, if you're interested in freezing your eggs, um, I think it's a really personal decision when it comes to freezing eggs, because obviously there's no specific, I'm not you, you're not anyone else. So we can't decide on anyone's fertility timeline. I would say that, I guess if you're under 35 and you know, you want a family, but you don't want one yet. Um, generally speaking, you know, based on statistics, we know that eggs frozen under the age of 35 are you're more likely to have more genetically chromosomally normal eggs, which are more likely to become a pregnancy in like a, an embryo in the future. So if you can freeze when you're younger, it does make sense. Um, in terms of when it's important to consider IVF and explore it. So now looking at as a couple, mm. um, you generally speaking, um, the advice, the standard medical advice, and I will qualify this in a second, is that, If you've been trying to conceive naturally for twelve months, more than 12 months as a couple and you're under 35, it's time to look at seeking um, fertility assistance, which could end up being IVF, but which may not be, but it's time to seek assistance. If you're over 35 and you've been trying to conceive naturally for six months or more and you haven't yet conceived, then it's time to seek fertility assistance. And when I mean seek assistance, I mean to go to your GP and say, We have been trying to conceive and it is not happening. We have been trying for this many months. I'm, you know, I'm tracking my cycle. I have been trying to have sex at the time of, around the time of ovulation, you know, um, and it's not working and now I need help. And you will probably get a referral to a fertility specialist who will give you, and I'm sure you know all about this, but like he'll give you a huge range of blood tests, probably a pelvic ultrasound and do lots of tests to assess your fertility. And depending on the outcomes of that and the assessment of the male partner, then you may be given um, advice that IVF is suitable for you or you may not. So that's probably how people end up in IVF. They try to conceive for a while. It doesn't happen. They seek assistance. They end up seeing a fertility specialist. There are investigations conducted, and then you may be recommended to try IVF. Mm -hmm. There are also situations where that doesn't happen and people's timelines aren't like that. For example, um, you have a, you have a partner who um, you have a partner who had cancer as a child, and they had to have their sperm frozen when they were twelve years old. You're probably going to need to do IVF then because yeah. the sperm is in <laughs> is frozen, frozen. and yeah. you now need to somehow make that meet your egg, and that may involve IVF. Or um, you know that you have fertility um, issues, and you tried earlier, so maybe you've had. Um, you've got PCOS and your cycles are very irregular and you don't even know when you ovulate. Oh, you might not be ovulating. You might get a period every three months. You may seek fertility assistance a lot earlier because obviously you can't really try for 12... You would feel silly trying for 12 months, wouldn't you? And then not, and not doing something about it earlier. Um, I also wanted to just qualify that and say that just because the advice is to try for 12 months and then seek assistance... It doesn't mean that during that 12 months, you can't do things to better educate yourself in terms of natural totally. fertility awareness and preconception care, including preconception nutrition and mm-hmm. looking at your lifestyle. So when I say 12 months and then seek assistance, 12 months is when you go to the doctor and you say it hasn't happened. In that 12 months, you can obviously do a lot for yourself as well. Totally. So Seek um, assistance in better understanding your menstrual cycle, making sure you do understand signs of ovulation and when you're going to ovulate, making sure that you are taking um, the right prenatal supplement, making sure that your preconception diet of yourself and your partner is on track. So, you know, in that time leading up to seeking assistance and, you know, potentially doing IVF or whatever, there's so much you can do. So just wanted to... Qualify that and not just say, "Yeah, just wait for 12 months and then get help," because a lot of clients come to me saying that that was the advice they were given and they weren't really happy about being wow. told to go go away for a year. And I totally understand that if you aren't getting pregnant, um, you don't want to be told. Um, and you're
0: actively trying. That's also yeah, you know, mentally oh, 30- and emotionally stressful. Or yeah,
1: and they go, "Oh, you're 34, so just come back in a year." You don't want to hear that. You're sort of like, "Well, okay, what can I do now, though?" So, yes. you it's know, all there, are, there are
0: things you can do in between. <laughs> totally. I love that you mentioned yep. that. I, when I studied natural fertility, it was so interesting if the couple or at least the woman, and this is for heterosexual couples, if the woman or the couple, like either or, had become aware of the natural fertility process, so tracking for natural fertility mm-hmm. and using natural fertility contraception, that they were literally 80% more likely To conceive in the first 12 months than those who are uneducated or were not aware of the process and that just goes to show that how important education is around that particular thing and i love that you mentioned about you know going to the doctor if you've been trying for so long something that i've done proactively especially since coming off the contraceptive pill like eight years ago i at the time was in a very committed relationship which i thought was going to be the relationship we were going to have kids in anyway that didn't happen. That's another story. Mm-hmm. But, um, we're still great friends, but I came off the contraceptive pill, discovered that I had PCOS when I had been, I was going through the healing journey of PCOS. When I hit 30, I decided to go and get everything tested. My AMH levels, all my, and I always go every six months anyway, but I did like the full fertility. If I want to have kids, can we just check everything? And everything sure. was great. My AMH was super high. So like, you know, it was good. Percentile for my age bracket. And so I did that again when I was 33 and Mm -hmm. a half. And then last year I had an unplanned pregnancy, um, which resulted in a termination. And so after that had happened, I went back and did all the same tests again in the last year to kind of confirm okay, am I still in the bracket? But knowing that I'm nearly 35 and that I would love to have children, I think it's our responsibility as females. To be inquisitive about that. And sure. it's better to look after your health now than to wait until it gets a little bit too late.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I don't, um, I'm not one of those people who puts the pressure on and says, Oh, you have to have a baby by a certain age, or you have to do this, or you know, tick-tick. Whatever, you know, that kind of approach. But I do agree that it's good to be proactive and inquisitive Mm -hmm. about your health and your fertility. Um, I think that the messaging we get from when we're young is that it's very easy to have a baby and that everyone's going to get pregnant really easily. And we're basically just taught about contraception, Um, but we're not actually taught about the opposite of that. And that, you know, the statistics are that around one in six couples will experience infertility. Um, infertility occurs on both sides male factors and female factors and then there's also unexplained or both you know both partners contributing you know it's actually very very common it's not shameful or unusual or bad to seek fertility assistance or to have to use assisted reproduction these are things that we can be aware of Um, and in terms of being inquisitive and proactive about our health I do agree with that so you don't have to be trying for six to twelve months before you go and see your GP if you're planning a pregnancy Um, and this is something I encourage my clients to do, it's to go back to their GP and to get a checkup and say, I would like to have a baby now. Um, Can you please check everything? And I often do send my clients um, off to their GP with a letter just requesting, saying, look, I'm seeing this person for preconception care. They've told me that they want to have a baby. They've given me a brief medical history. Let's, can we, you know, I request that we refresh their blood test. So for me as a nutritionist, I look at things like, Um, Their iron studies, vitamin D, B12, their folate, their thyroid, their blood sugar. So, doing a full workup of where their health is at now and optimizing preconception health. So, no, you don't have to be trying for a long time before you actually go and get a check in. And I completely agree with you. It's great to actually be inquisitive and make sure everything's in place. Should you fall pregnant, you don't have to struggle and then go, oh, I don't know anything about myself. Now it's the time for a blood test, you know?
0: could not agree more and it's interesting in the fertility study that I did in becoming a fertility educator is it blows my mind that the three to six months before conception occurs is sometimes the most important Mm -hmm. time even before the even over the first trimester of growing a baby so looking after your body before you actually conceive especially if you are and I hate categorizing in health because I believe there's three ages. There's your physical yep. age, there's your earth age, and there's your soul age. Physical age is how old your body is. Soul, yep. um, soul age is how old your soul is. And then earth age is how long you've been on the earth in this physical form. But we get judged very easily about that. And so yep. I feel hesitant to say if you're over 30 or over 28, that it's really important to just consistently have preconception care. And so for me, I encourage for all of my clients and those that I work with, especially in the academy, the Well Women Academy, is to just have a lifestyle that supports preconception. And it's not yep. hard. <laughs>
1: no, um, it's actually not that, you know, not to undersell the job that I do in helping people with their nutrition, but having a basic diet and lifestyle pattern that supports preconception is actually I'd like to think it's not difficult. I hope that I don't send my clients off with plans and recommendations that are super difficult. It's actually relatively broad and tolerant of a lot of foods and things that you might think you can't have if you're trying to be like super healthy for a baby. Actually, you know, dietary diversity and having a well-balanced lifestyle um, and having some fun in your life are actually pretty important parts to preconception care. So it's not super restrictive. Um, And yes, I completely agree. The three to six months before preconception, um, that is like my ideal timeframe to work with somebody to optimize their preconception health because that is when we are maturing the egg and all the sperm that is going to become the future child. Like remember, Mm -hmm. that's the genetic material. That's the container that it all comes in. So
0: totally. And yeah. The last, so wherever you are listening to this and whatever day of your cycle you're on the last hundred days, which is pretty much three and a half months Mm -hmm. affects how your body is today in your cycle. So if you think about that, that's the minimum amount of time. That's not the renewed time. So with preconception care, it just goes to show like with you mentioning that that's when the eggs are being developed literally is that you want to be able to support the body in doing that in Mm -hmm. a really healthy way it's like trying to grow a veggie garden in soil that's just very nutrient deplete like you'll grow veggies but that might not be great
1: yep yep exactly and you need that time as well the veggie garden is a good analogy because you can't grow you know a sweet potato in three days it does not happen <laughs> and it's the same as maturing an egg i have no idea about how long it takes to grow a sweet potato i will we'll admit but let's
0: just it's definitely not three days let's
1: just pretend it's the same as maturing an egg which is about three months you know
0: because when <laughs> you if you seed and now i've never grown sweet potatoes myself but i grow lots of other kind of veggies in my veggie garden yeah if i think of a zucchini if yep. you just take the seed and plant the seed in the ground ensuring that the nutrients in the soil is correct and that it has the right equation of sunlight and water and then Mm -hmm. nutrients in the soil, the seed will then sprout and then will begin to grow. But that sprouting time can take three to five days, depending on the type of vegetable, right. Or the type of fruit or whatever. So that's the first part, but then it has to grow and then it has to flower. And then we have to have bees pollinate the flowers. And then from that pollination, then the vegetable will grow and literally a zucchini can take anywhere from, you know, one to like three months to grow. Yeah,
1: yeah, so that's right. And that's, yeah, that's a good analogy for the way we mature eggs and sperm. I think because, you know, a menstrual cycle is roughly around a month. Some people think that that's how long it takes to sort of get an egg, but actually the recruitment and maturation of a follicle, so a follicle in your ovary, which houses the egg, that is actually about three months to actually fully mature so that recruitment process um, for the egg that you will eventually ovulate or that will be eventually collected in IVF that's taking about three months Mm. and it's a a similar timeline for sperm as well I should say I know it feels like sometimes men are just sperm factories (laughs) and they just get to make them whenever they want Um, actually
0: it actually does take a while I have to interrupt this episode to let you know that today is sponsored by the Well Women Academy. The Well Women Academy is my signature group coaching program. It's a weekly membership together where we study menstrual cycles, holistic health, and how to reconnect with your body. Every month, our Well Women access members-only self-paced educational content across a wide range of formats, including written, audio, video, and guided home study. Join me and women from all over the world as together we cover fields of ancestral health, Ayurveda, sexuality, sensuality, holistic health, and everything to do with your yoni. This is your chance to join an international community of supportive women to discover your cycle, your body, ignite your inner intuition, and illuminate your life. It's a cyclical sisterhood like no other. Not to mention, it's also cheaper than your daily coffee fix. To learn more and to join us, head to com forward slash academy. That's Wellsome, W-E-L-L-S-O-M-E dot com forward slash academy. So let's go back to the mail thing, because I actually wrote a mm-hmm. question down that I wanted to ask you about yep. couple support, but before we go into the heterosexual full couple relationship with this. If a woman was coming to see you and she's like, look, I'm really planning on having, like, I really want to start a family regardless Mm -hmm. of her age. What are some of the go-to things you would recommend nutritionally that she does um, as potential preconception care?
1: Okay. So if they want to start a family and we're sort of talking within the next six to 12 months, they're looking to fall pregnant. So it's a pretty immediate desire Um, Or sometimes they're like, I want to fall pregnant tomorrow. That happens too. Um, So in terms of preconception care, I guess the initial stages I go through with anyone are quite similar, um, and that would be to – so for me, we do – Break it down into sort of like medical and dietary assessments. So I'm a nutritionist, so they're the two things I need to know. So I need to know your medical background, what is going on with you? Do you have any reproductive disorders? Um, do you have? You had, had, are you on any medication? What's your menstrual cycle like? Like how do you live? Do you get periods? Do you uh, have? Do you have fertility awareness? So that sort of stuff. Then we, I would look at, okay, when was your last lot of blood tests? Okay, we'll go through that. Then we do a dietary assessment, and that informs the way we proceed nutritionally. So then it would go, okay, so what nutritional factors do I need to consider? So there's, I guess, a level of individualization there that I probably can't comment on completely, but um, in terms of the general nutritional things I would look at is, okay, you need to be taking a prenatal supplement. Um, That isn't just some jibber jabber stuff that I've made up to sell you a supplement. Like I have no financial interest in supplement companies. So, I'm just telling you, you actually do. So there are minimum supplement requirements that you need in terms of meeting your folate or folic acid um, and iodine requirements. So in Australia, the public there's public health recommendations for supplementation in both of those. So I would look at at least starting a very basic prenatal supplement. Um, I usually would tailor that depending on that medical and dietary assessment that I've done. So the supplement usually includes more things than those two nutrients. Um, then I would look at sort of, changing diet and making sure that i've sort of got like uh i couldn't go through it all in the podcast because i've been here for a while but i've got like a fertility checklist in my mind that are they meeting certain things so to give you some examples of those um are they actually meeting their fruit and vegetable intake sounds so basic but in terms of egg quality some people don't an- antioxidants as one of our best um preservers of egg quality okay they reduce oxidative stress in the body which can then damage egg quality so where are the antioxidants coming from? Are they eating fruit and vegetables every day? Are some of those vegetables, green vegetables, because to be honest, they are an incredible source of folate. And that is one of the nutrients that you need to optimize before you fall pregnant. You need to have <laughs> optimal folate levels before. Okay. Totally. Not just like, you know, I'm five weeks pregnant. Oh, oh I shit. might eat, I might eat some broccoli. You won't want to eat it then anyway, because you'll be sick. So, you know, it's stuff that you got to do before. So I've got like a fertility checklist in my head that I run through nutritionally. So yeah. Uh, Where are the sources of antioxidant coming from? Are there any omega-3s in the diet? Um, Are um, carbohydrate choices mainly sort of like low glycemic? Is there enough dietary fiber? Is this person hydrated? Do they drink enough water? Because we know that water um, staying hydrated is important for things like cervical mucus, which helps the sperm swim up to meet the egg. So there's this sort of, I guess, to sum it all up, what are some of the factors I consider nutritionally for any client? It would be running their history so I can tailor it. But then the general things are making sure that prenatal supplementation is optimal and tailored to the individual and is also meeting those minimum standards that we have. Mm. And then how are they going with my sort of like mental fertility nutrition checklist that I have in my head? You know, are they are there enough nutrients in there to optimize egg quality? Um, Are we looking at factors that support ovulation Um, and all of those things. And I sort of run through that checklist and then we
0: set some targets and then off they go. I love that you've mentioned all of this. Thank you so much. It just goes to show how important it is to just live a reasonably nutritionally healthy life. Yeah. Because if I think about this, if you were just eating close to nature and not eating junk food all the time, you're actually more likely to be getting all of those things and getting those nutrients anyway. And so if you're thinking, oh my God, I don't know how to do that. I'm like, well, eat mostly fruits and vegetables and eat some fiber like from grains, maybe nuts and seeds, maybe dried fruit occasionally too that's got no sulfites in it. And, you know, if you do eat meat, having healthy sources of meat, making sure it's from it, you know, ethically sourced, chemical-free, toxin, free, all that stuff, it's actually quite easy to do. Yeah. Um,
1: And I would agree with that. And I think that's what I was saying earlier about in terms of preconception diet and optimizing your body for fertility Um, i'm not saying it's always easy to implement because there are barriers and there are ways that we usually eat and there are beliefs that we have and everything like that and there are individual circumstances like financial um geographical whatever so but it's quite broad like there aren't food groups that you're supposed to eliminate or things that you can't have actually that like you said, dietary diversity, fruit, vegetables, grains, nuts, seeds, lean proteins, all of those things, like they're all okay. Like you don't have to remove things. It's actually usually for most of my clients, I would say it's actually about adding more in.
0: Yes. Um, I love that. Very so and- important reducing if you have a lot of crap in your diet like if you eat crap you're going to produce crap eggs let's just face it
1: (laughs) yeah i think that um that is something that i tend to work on with clients as well um probably not in the first consult but as we move through working together for preconception is reducing exposure to toxins and in particular endocrine disrupting chemicals so the reality is that those those do exist um, and there are things that can affect our fertility both from a dietary and environmental perspective. So that's like, I mean, that's a whole nother can of worms, but um, it is something that does feature in my preconception care. It's not that I just care about you eating fruit and vegetables. I also care about a lot of other things too. Um, I love that.
0: It's so important because a lot of people don't realize how many endocrine disruptors there are in the world today.
1: Yeah, there are
0: a few. There's (laughs) heaps. And just to give everyone a bit of an overview who's listening to this, when I was doing my fertility study and we were learning about environmental factors and all of that kind of endocrine disruptors, I learned that receipts have BPA in them. I know. And that the cash (laughs) registers or the cash the cashier clerks you could call them whatever you, how we want like we, we used to call them laser lads and check out chicks you know if they're constantly handing out receipts and touching them every day there was a, a study that was done they were tested with their um, estrogen levels before they started work and then after they were, were at work and the levels had it skyrocketed mm-hmm. so it just goes to show that even such a small little thing like touching paper yeah if it does have an endocrine disruptor in it consistently doing that regularly like that can impact and It's a whole nother rant as to why potentially young people are having endocrine disruptors because of these things, maybe. But um, let's switch gears and let's talk about couples because there's a lot of um, preconception focus on females because, you know, it's their body. The baby's going to grow in their body. The baby's going to be conceived in their body or implanted in their body. The egg comes from their body, but the sperm is like 50-50. So what do you see with couples? when they come like is there any common things that you see when you do see couples that kind of would lead them towards maybe going to an IVF clinic yeah so um
1: in terms of male and females contributing to um infertility that's probably a good way to start is that male factor infertility actually contributes to up to 50 percent of infertility cases so in terms of couples, well, going hang on, type- can you,
0: can you say yeah. that again? Because yeah. I'm so male, about that factor, in male factor
1: infertility can contribute to up to 50% of infertility cases. So male factor is often the dominant or sole cause in around 30%, but may contribute to up to 50% because you do have those cases where there are both female and male factors contributing to um, the difficulty conceiving. So when I see couples like, yes, quite often there is a male factor. So when we talk about male factor infertility and or male factors contributing, so usually there's something going on with the sperm. And there, um, when you go for a fertility assessment and there's a male involved, the male has what is called a semen analysis. And this analysis is going to look at characteristics of the sperm, which may be affecting conception. So there can be things like the size, the shape, which is called morphology, The way the sperm swim and move, they've got like a funny little corkscrew movement that helps them swim up. That's called motility. Um, There's also something called DNA fragmentation analysis. Anyway, won't go into them all, but essentially there are different characteristics of sperm that affect their ability to reach and then fertilize an egg and then produce a genetically normal, chromosomally normal embryo that is then going to develop into a successful pregnancy. And yes, males contribute significantly to this process. I know They just sort of drop off the sperm and then they don't have to actually grow the baby. But they are bringing that 50% of the genetic material and the sperm needs to actually be functioning in order to reach the egg and fertilize it. So it's huge. So, couples I've seen um, in terms of preparing for IVF, quite often there is a male factor and it is going to be something to do with their sperm. So, really common issues are low sperm motility. So, the sperm don't move as well as they should, they're not swimming. Um, Yeah, (laughs) they're not swimming. Um, or issues with sperm morphology. So not many of the sperm in a semen sample are the right shape. So the right, they don't, they don't look right. Um, they're morphologically abnormal, so they're not able to fertilize. Okay, and those things can be, may need to be addressed, and that can also be other things like low sperm count or no sperm count okay so there are serious issues and i'm not saying that diet and lifestyle can treat all of them however things like sperm motility and sperm morphology and dna fragmentation we can use diet and lifestyle just as we do to support female fertility it is possible to do that for male fertility as well so there are certain nutrients um, whether they are achieved through diet or through supplementation which may help to improve sperm parameters so in terms of couples Yes, I see it on both sides. I know the focus, like you said, is so much on the female and all the things they need to do to get their eggs healthy. But um, in terms of couples I see going into IVF, yes, most of my couples that I see there is a male factor as well.
0: Oh, um, so I'm so that glad that can you support. mentioned that. Yeah, mm. And it can be supported, which is so yes, important to Yes,
1: it can know. be. It can be. Um, and I think men are a bit reluctant to come to the table sometimes to talk about their diet or their lifestyle or their or sperm their, health
0: or That's their bit sperm
1: of health dignity um, like yeah, oh, so i've got, got they... st-
0: i've got a strong cock yep. and i have strong swimmers
1: <laughs> yeah and i produce lots of it so i think probably one of the most sort of you know shameful things is when they get told that they actually don't really have a lot of sperm um i think that can be an issue they feel like they're not virile or they're not fertile because it's, it's not the masculine yeah
0: it's yeah, yeah it is it is it is and i think it's humbling for you know, a male to allow yourself to get yeah, tested and, yeah, be inquisitive yeah. and learn more about it. I feel that if you're a woman listening to this and you're like, oh, maybe I should go to the doctors and get all my blood work done and check my thyroid yeah. and, you know, maybe yeah. get your AMH level checked in Australia. Um, that's a, a test you've got to pay for, but I think it's a great investment. Um, from memory, yeah. it was about a hundred dollars, but I think, yeah, I think it's about 80 to a hundred. I was like, I think. that's a good for yep. me. I was like, that's a good investment, and I've had it done three yep. times now. So yep. for me, that's like instead of me paying maybe ten thousand dollars in IVF, let me just pay the hundred dollars just to check and these just little get things stuff out. checked in now. Yep. Exactly. If you're thinking that you want to go do these things and you might, you know, it's been on the cards, maybe as a discussion, I would literally say, hey, look to your partner, let's both go together. Yeah, you know, if I'm getting checked. Let's you get checked, and I've already talked to my partner about this. We've talked about when we would have kids. And, you know, knowing that I'm in the old age bracket is that I'm like, yeah, it's important for you to go get your sperm checked.
1: Yep. So you can go and get a checkup. So it may be more difficult for men to access the semen analysis up front. So women, because of a lot of it's just standard pathology testing. um, I would say that on the whole semen analysis tends to be done when there is a issue conceiving it may be difficult to get that test done up front but you can always still do the basics like get a blood test for the male and actually make sure the male diet and um you know to make a sweeping generalization alcohol consumption is not um too high
0: the best and
1: <laughs> yes um and things like that so there are very good basics again applying a fertility nutrition checklist to a male is entirely possible
0: as well Yeah, I think it's a great idea so if you're listening to this and you're like oh you know we would like to start a family soon, be inquisitive and learn about your own health Mm -hmm. learn about your um your partner's health especially before you enter the IVF process would you agree yes
1: yes definitely definitely um when you want to try and conceive when you're trying for a baby go and investigate and feel like you're on track like we were saying earlier go to the doctor and say We are trying for a baby. We would like to make sure we are healthy, you know, because by the time you're up to seeing a fertility specialist and getting investigations done, you don't really get a choice in those investigations. They are going to just slam you with a barrage of fertility investigations and tests and ultrasounds and jibs and jabs. Um, Like then it's sort of almost out of your control. You're just going to have those tests done. But if you want to try and sort of like front end your fertility journey, getting an assessment and seeing if you've got things on track and Optimizing your preconception health, even if you need assisted reproduction, right? So even if they're going to take out the sperm and the egg and they're going to fertilize it in a lab, and you feel like you you do have you feel like you've lost a bit of control over the fertility process, just remember that you can still make a positive contribution. So you can still um, work on your egg and sperm quality before collection. You can still make your body a healthy and happy home for your baby. You can still work on your hormones. Okay, it's not sort of like, oh, we're doing IVF now, so it doesn't matter. Um, you, you don't know, get to you tap still, out of it. Yeah, you don't tap out. You still make those changes because that can actually improve from it. Like that can actually improve your success rates with assisted reproduction. And we know that it can.
0: So important. It's, yeah, so important. I also want to just do a little um, shout out to this is that it's just as important before you get to the IVF process and you are trying or considering trying to conceive and start a family is seek a team of support. I think this is one of yes. the best things you can do. One, go to your doctor. Do what we've just recommended. If you have a doctor that you normally see and you don't feel fully supported, find another doctor. Yeah, you're not a tree; you can move around. <laughs> so find yep. another doctor. The other thing is work with some kind of nutritionist. I know for me, last year when I found out that I was pregnant and it was, I wasn't. Um, I was at the stage where I didn't know whether I was yet to keep or abort the the pregnancy for personal reasons. I had already sourced out a nutritionist that I was going to work with. I'd already sourced out a physical movement person. Like she wasn't a personal trainer, but someone who could personally assist me with my body because that's really important. And I didn't even know if I was going to keep the baby at that time, but it's important. If you're going through this preconception care stage, go to the doctors, get a team, work with a nutritionist. I personally feel working with a fertility teacher or coach or, someone who can teach you the natural fertility contraceptive method to help you plan for conception as in pinpointing the right times of conception, understanding the exact day that you can conceive and the process on that, because there's a whole bunch of emotional stress that can come with thinking, you know, when you're ovulating, but actually not really knowing when you're ovulating and then you're trying, trying, trying and most people who have been trying but when they seek fertility awareness education for conception they can generally conceive within the first six months.
1: Yeah I do agree yeah there is a pretty big lack of awareness in terms of fertility education and it is not unusual for me to see in clinic or to talk to others who don't have a good awareness of which days of the month on which they're fertile and do express difficulty and need help understanding when they might be ovulating and when they're fertile like that is a good first step if you're early in your preconception journey
0: understanding
1: that is helpful so you know when you're like going back to that whole trying for six to 12 months like we're talking about having some planned intercourse timed intercourse understanding fertility like having that awareness and then trying for six to 12 months is ideal like get
0: that knowledge in at the start totally wait yeah I could keep raving on about these topics because yeah. I love chatting about this. This is like, but we are so yeah. out of time. Yeah, we're totally um, out of time. But um, how can everyone find you? So if someone's listening to this, um, I know you do work from um, online as well. You do online work. Yep. So people can pretty much work with you from anywhere around the world. That's true. But um, if they like, want to know who Monique is, where can they find you? Where's the best platform?
1: Um, so you can always find me on Instagram. So that's where I share a lot of free information. So I've got lots of infographics and videos and resources on there. So you can find me on Instagram. It's just um, Monique Cormac nutrition or one word, or you can go on my website. So if you want more information about me and what I do
0: and the services I have, and that's just moniquecormack.com So nice and simple. Fantastic. Well, I will pop all those links in the show notes. I'll pop some links into some preconception care link so you can learn more about like pharmaceutical graded um prenatal products um just yeah i'll pop everything in the show notes but final podcast question before we let you go is that we're switching gears i want you to think back many to your younger menstruating self yeah so when you got your first period tell us what are three things you wish you had have known then that you now know today about your cycle
1: um Well, because I eventually ended up having hypothalamic menorrhea for many years, Um, I wish I'd just been told that it was precious. Um, And then secondly, I wish I'd been told that it was a signal that my body was functioning and that in terms of my wellness and my womanhood, that things were actually working and that my hormones were regular. Um, And then finally, that um, it was okay to change my behavior or change my schedule based on my cycle so we do have off days where we're cramping or we need to lay down a bit more or we our PMS is running a little bit rampant and we need to take it easier and that it's okay to live a little bit more in sync with our cycle I think you know we've got a real soldier on mentality Mm. um, with periods and we don't really talk about them but um, it's okay (laughs) it's okay not to be like that.
0: I completely agree. And I love those three points. Thank you so much for sharing. I've absolutely loved having you on the show. Um, Any final points that you'd love to share with our listeners before we wrap up? Um,
1: No, I think that's it. Just like really wanted to emphasize that I guess, you know, you don't need to wait all that time to seek assistance. And I definitely encourage you to be more proactive about your preconception health, Um, whether that is from just, you know, seeing a doctor or seeing a nutritionist or, finding a fertility educator or an acupuncturist whoever completes your team and helps you
0: have more of an awareness of your health then just do it <laughs> amazing wrap it up on that yep. monique thank you so much for joining us this has been amazing insightful information about preconception care and ivf um, i'm very very thankful thanks for coming along to the episode today thank you so much for having me thank you so much for tuning in to every episode of the well women podcast I trust you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. If you got a lot out of it too, please subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast app. This means together we can inspire, connect, and educate even more women. Now, is there a bestie, a sister, or a friend who you know may be frustrated and confused with their health? Are they ready to discover new aspects of themselves too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your social media, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to their ears. So, together we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our bodies. And be sure to tag me in it too WellWomenPodcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at Wellsome.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.